Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 26. In our last session, we discussed the events that surrounded the call of God on his servants Paul and Barnabas. They were to be sent out as missionaries of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world, and they were the first in a long line of missionaries who have continued that great work throughout the generations. But we have before us, in the balance of this book, the account of how the foundation for this vital ministry was laid. Let us begin by reading verses 4 through 12 of chapter 13. So, beginning uh, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, when he saw what he had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Well, after the church body had laid hands on Paul and Barnabas, you will notice that the first thing we read in verse 4 is that it was the Holy Spirit who sent them on their way. The missionary work is the work of the Holy Spirit from first to last. If you remember, verse 2 tells us that the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Therefore, you will now find the Holy Spirit referenced throughout this account of the missionary journeys and the growth of the church. Saul and Barnabas set sail to the island of Cyprus, the place where Barnabas came from. This pattern is consistent with our Lord's command in Acts 1.8. You will remember, Jesus said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is the pattern that has been established by God, and any good ministry will follow it. You begin where you are, right at home. 
This is where the ministry begins, with those who know you best, who have known you at your worst, and they now become eyewitnesses to the transforming work and power of Jesus Christ in your life. One commentator makes the following observation. If a person's Christianity isn't believable at home, then there's no sense taking it on the road. This was also the pattern established by Christ in Acts 1.8. We must share Christ first where we are with those who know us best. Credibility and effectiveness at home are prerequisites to more elaborate outreach endeavors. As one wise old saint noted, it takes more than a trip to some faraway locale to make someone into a missionary. Saul and Barnabas also took with them John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. I would like to make three basic observations about John Mark. First, he was young. If you remember, his mother's home was a key meeting place for the believers in Jerusalem. In fact, many Bible scholars believe that it was the upper room in her home that was used by Jesus and his disciples when they shared their last meal together. They also believed that it was in her home that 120 believers were gathered to pray as they waited for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And you will also remember from our last lesson that it was their home that Peter ran to when he was miraculously delivered out of prison because the church had gathered there to pray for his release. All of this tells me that John Mark had been an eyewitness to many things personal encounters with Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and many miracles, including Peter's. Therefore, it makes sense to me that he would also want to be a part of this mighty work of ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, he joined his cousin for the next great adventure. However, it wasn't long before he left them and went back to Jerusalem. We will read about that in verse 13. And so this brings us to my second point. We don't know why he left them, only that he did. Scholars present several possibilities. Perhaps he was homesick or ill. Maybe he had planned to only go to the island, but not any further, but he had failed to communicate that to Saul and Barnabas. Maybe he was afraid of the growing opposition and potential persecution the apostles faced whenever they shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't know. But one thing we do know is that he was not sent by the Holy Spirit. It was his idea to join them, 
And while good-intentioned, perhaps it lacked the power to be specifically set apart for that work. I have learned over the years that if God has not called me to a specific work, no matter how well-intentioned, I will struggle with that ministry and it will soon become a burden to me. But if God has called me to a specific work or ministry, no matter how difficult or how painful it may be, there is power and there is joy in the labor. Well, my final point is about John Mark is this, that this wasn't the end of his story. Yes, he, he walked away and this created problems down the line for Paul and Barnabas. However, Barnabas took him under his wing and discipled him in the ministry. And later on, John Mark became such a valuable and important church leader that Paul commends him to the body of Christ. Let's read what Paul had to say while he was in prison in Rome. In Colossians 4.10, he writes, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And again, shortly before his death, while he was in a dungeon in Rome, Paul wrote this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. As one commentator observes, somewhere along the way, after what must have been a miserable season in his life, John Mark got back on track. He became one of four privileged writers of a New Testament gospel, the Gospel of Mark. He was restored completely to usefulness even in the ministry of Paul. He is a great inspiration for believers of moving beyond failures to faithfulness. I agree with that statement. I myself have experienced restoration back into ministry when I faltered during a difficult time in my past. But God is faithful. And He forgave my sin. He healed my wounded, broken spirit. He ministered to me and taught me more of His Word. And by His grace, He has raised me up to serve him once again. Truly, he is a wonderful Savior. I'm reminded of what is written in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, which says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, getting back to our passage, Barnabas and Saul traveled throughout Cyprus until they reached a city called Paphos. There, they were sharing the gospel with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, who was very interested in what they had to say. However, as was customary in those days, he had a sorcerer on his staff by the name of Bar-Jesus, or nicknamed Elimus, who was opposed to their message because if Sergius Paulus was to receive Jesus as Lord, Elimus would be out of a job. So, he aggressively challenged the gospel message. Verse 9 says that Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit, and discerning what was taking place, he rebuked this man with a prophecy that he would be blind for a while, and sure enough, immediately he became blind and had to be led out of the room. I wonder if Paul remembered his own time of blindness when Jesus encountered him on the road to Damascus. For three days he was blind, and for three days he too had to be led around by another. For Paul, the experience humbled him. I'm sure he spent a lot of time thinking about what happened to him when Jesus spoke to him and what that meant about what he had been doing in persecuting the church, as well as what his life would look like from that time forward. We don't know what the time of blindness meant to Limus, but we do know how it impacted Sergius Paulus. We are told that when he saw what had happened, and after listening to all that Paul and Barnabas had to share, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. He is the highest-ranking Roman official who had become a Christian in the Bible. Well, one last thing from this passage. You will note that also in verse 9 it says that Saul is also called Paul. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul is his Roman name or Gentile name. And from this point forward, he is always referenced as Paul. This is consistent with his calling as an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul was willing to give his all for the sake of sharing Jesus with someone. And if a name change was required, he was willing. Listen to what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19-23. through 23. He writes, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, 
that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might may be partaker of it with you. Yes, Paul was willing to do whatever it took to save some, that there might be some who will receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, let us move on to our next session section of our passage for today. So we're still in chapter 13 of Acts, and I will begin reading verses 13 through 26. Now when Paul and his party set out from Paphos, they came to uh, Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and motioned with his hands, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about forty years he put up with their ways in the wilderness, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I'm not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. As I stated earlier, this is the time that John Mark left Paul and Barnabas and returned back to Jerusalem. However, Paul and Barnabas continued on traveling more than 100 miles to Antioch in Pisidia. 
This is not the same Antioch in Syria where the church headquarters have been established. Antioch Pisidia is described as a, a hub of good roads and, and trade, and it had a large Jewish population. In fact, it had become the most important city in southern Galatia. It boasted an elevation of about 3,600 feet above sea level. And as we continue our walk through the book of Acts, we will discover that Paul will often select strategic cities where he will plant churches and then go out to evangelize the surrounding areas. And so this is the beginning of that pattern. On the next Sabbath day, after arriving, Paul and Barnabas entered one of the synagogues. Now it was customary after the reading of the scriptures to allow visitors to bring a message of encouragement. So on that day, they invited Paul to speak to the congregation. This is the first recorded sermon of Paul in the Bible. It was composed of three major parts. The preliminary historical figures leading up to the coming of Messiah. That's verses 16 through 25. The rejection, crucifixion, and resurrection of Christ, which are verses 26 through 37. And the appeal to believe, verses 38 through 39. This again is is an excellent pattern for us today. Paul knew his target audience. They were Jews or Gentiles who worshiped the God of Israel. For them, the history, the law, the prophets were vitally important. So that is where Paul started. He established common ground between him and his listeners. Later in chapter 17 of Acts, Paul would be speaking to a group of Gentiles in Athens and And he would establish common ground with them by talking to them about what he had observed in their city with regards to their idols and the the statute that was dedicated to the unknown God, which Paul would proceed to tell them about the true and living God. You know, it has been said that Billy Graham, that great world evangelist, would also follow this pattern. In preparing to go into a certain city, he would have local newspapers delivered to him weeks before the crusade so that he would know what was happening in their city. Then he would come to do a crusade and he would begin his sermon addressing the local things that were important to those in the audience. And Once he had their attention, he would then begin to talk to them about Jesus and their need for a savior, which are steps two and three. But for our purposes today, we're going to place our focus on Paul's words in verses 16 through 25, the first stage of establishing common ground. Paul walked through Israel's history, beginning with Abraham, whom God chose out of all the people of the world to be the recipient of his eternal covenant blessing. This covenant they carried with them into Egypt, and then God delivered them out of Egypt into the promised land. 
this little nation was ruled by a series of judges and then finally by Saul, the first king of Israel, and then by David. And lastly, God gave to them Jesus, who Paul described as Savior. This is interesting as this is the only place recorded in the book of Acts where Paul called Jesus by that name, Savior. Paul also used, used this t- same term in Acts chapter 5, verse 31, when Peter was giving his own defense of the gospel, and he said, Him, Jesus, God has exalted to, to his right hand to be prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Paul continued his sermon by making mention of John the Baptist's ministry. You remember, John was the last prophet of Israel, but he was also the forerunner of Christ. And John challenged the people's thinking because they were beginning to think that he was the promised Messiah because he had a ministry of the baptism of repentance. However, John the Baptist pointed them to the true Messiah, of whom John was not even worthy to untie the sandals that were on his feet. I would like to draw your attention to the fact that Paul was pointing out that God was behind it all. And it was his work of grace throughout the nation's history. So let me read that passage again, only this time I'm going to make a special emphasis of God's involvement in this nation's history. So I'm going to begin reading with verse 17 through verse 23. Where Paul said, The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. With an uplifted arm, he, God, brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land, Of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he, God, gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he, God, had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. Yes, Paul made it clear that it was God who was at work in in and for Israel, preparing the way for the coming of the promised Messiah. And it was for the great purpose of providing to us a wonderful Messiah who would become our Savior and Lord and King. I love the way verse 26 ends. 
Paul says, To you, the word of this salvation has been sent. And I, Jane, say to you today, to you also, the word of salvation has been sent. Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he rose again to pay the price for our sin, for your sin and for mine, so that we could be forgiven and adopted into his household of faith. Jesus died for you, my friend. Do you believe it? Jesus rose from the dead as proof that your sin debt has been paid in full. Do you believe it? Jesus is willing to forgive you of your sin if you will ask. As the Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, turning away from your sin, confessing your sin. I urge you today, ask, and you will be forgiven. Ask Jesus to be your Savior and Lord today. Do not wait for tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. But as the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. You know, Paul said that throughout Israel's history, God was at work for the express purpose of giving to us a Savior. And God has given to us a Savior, and he has continued to work throughout the generations, even to this day, for that same express purpose, to bring to us, you and me, salvation today. It is a gift of grace, not of works. The work has already been done. It was done on the cross. Will you receive it? Just ask. Ask Jesus to forgive you and to be your Savior. And if you ask, He will say, Yes, I will forgive you. I am your Savior. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O oh God, that you care so much that you have brought to us this gift of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that it is by your gift of grace that you save us and not by our works because there is not a work that we could do that would be great enough to purchase our salvation. We need Jesus. And you have given to us Jesus. And you have given to us the promise that if we confess our sin, you will forgive our sin and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And so I bring my dear friends before you, O Lord. And I pray that you will hear their, the prayer of their heart, whether it be a prayer unto salvation or a prayer of recommitment of their life before you. I pray, O oh God, that you will hear their prayer and the cry of their heart and that you will answer from heaven. For I know, O oh God, that you are rich in mercy and abundant in loving kindness.
And I pray, O God, that you will do a mighty work in their life. And that you will raise them up, O God, to be your witnesses. And that you will establish them, O God, as your servants. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you are finding these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, feel free to write me. My email address is BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. It's all one word, BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. Well, until next time, my friend, may God continue to bless you as you seek him in prayer, worship him in song, and as you abide in his word, growing in your faith day by day. Remember, my friend, that he who promised is faithful. Trust him because he cares for you.